Well, how do you respond to the words of Jesus? So, perhaps you respect Jesus as a teacher, and so you're always curious as to his sayings. Like one of those inspirational posters in your corporate office, if they still have those. But perhaps on the other hand, Jesus, if you're honest, is a bit of a wild card for you. So his teachings seem a bit bigoted and judgmental at times. And, and so you generally have decided to tune him out and the words of his followers as well. Or perhaps you think Jesus has a lot of good things to say, but you've just never really gotten around to thinking about them. Life is busy. Here's another idea. Maybe you know Jesus' words really well. Perhaps as a child, you grew up in church and you memorized Bible verses for brownie points, for merit badges of sorts. But then when you were a teenager or a young adult, you had a tragic season where someone dear to you passed away. And so you haven't been able to stomach Jesus since. Or maybe... Just maybe, Jesus' words are life itself to your weary heart. Maybe you agree with Peter in John 6 when he said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, church family, our plan, Lord willing, is to meet in person next week on June 14. And at that time, we will begin a new series of studies in God's Word as we kind of get accustomed to meeting in person again. But for this week, we're staying in the Gospel according to Luke. And here in chapter 8, we see four different responses to the words of Jesus Christ. Four different soils upon which the seed of His Word is cast. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke, chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book in the New Testament, and we will be in chapter 8, and this morning we will be reading verses 1 through 15. If you're not used to using a Bible, uh, you can look this up online, uh, just search Luke 8, 1 through 15, and you will find the text that we'll be in this morning. Let me read it for us, Luke 8, starting in verse 1. Luke says this, Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went, at, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. All right, so here's the breakdown for our study this morning, if you're taking notes. First, in verses 1 through 3, we see Jesus' followers. Second, in verses 4 through 10, we see Jesus' parable. And then finally, in verses 11 through 15, we see Jesus' interpretation. Followers. Parable, interpretation. So first, let's begin with Jesus' followers there in verse 1. Again, Luke says, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, So these opening three verses in our text this morning are a bit of a summary of Jesus' ministry and what it looks like at this time. He's going from city to city and village to village as a sort of itinerant preacher. And his message is the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke has mentioned this kingdom before. The least in that kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, Jesus said back in chapter 7. This, so what is this kingdom of God? This kingdom of God is the new era Jesus is bringing into the world. So Jesus, the Messiah, has been sent by God to begin or inaugurate a new kingdom, a new covenant with God's people. God's kingdom is his reign, and Jesus is bringing that reign, that rule, to bear in his ministry of salvation. This is the message he is proclaiming. And Luke then goes on to show us who his followers are at this time. He says, And the twelve were with him. These are the twelve disciples that we saw Jesus call to himself back in chapter 6. And then there in verse 2, Luke continues and says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them. Out of their means. So, among those following Jesus at this time, sort of accompanying him in his itinerant ministry, are these women whom he has healed and delivered. Now, women of the day followed religious leaders. That wasn't uncommon. But it wasn't usual for women to actually travel with their rabbis. Yet, throughout his gospel account, and we've noted this before, 
Dr. Luke emphasizes the role women have in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Even in Luke 24, at the end of this gospel, which we'll get to one of these days, we see Mary Magdalene and Joanna, two of these women mentioned here, are some of the very first witnesses to the very resurrection of Jesus. They go and proclaim the resurrection to his follower, other followers. And it makes sense if you think about it that Luke goes on to speak about these women here right after the passage we saw last week in the end of, of Luke chapter 7 where a sinful woman comes to anoint Jesus with precious ointment and receive forgiveness for all her sins. So the 19th century Anglican bishop in Liverpool, England, J.C. Ryle, who I've quoted many times in this, in this series through Luke, he writes on this section and says, Let the recollection of these women encourage all the daughters of Adam who read of them to take up the cross and to follow Christ. Let no sense of weakness or fear of falling away keep them back. Church, I'm so grateful for the women of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church. I'm so grateful for the women's ministry we have focused on since day one of this church. I thank you especially to Carla and to Terry and others who have helped the women's ministry, the Bible study, continue, and the prayer times continue even during this season of restriction and distancing and online stuff. Sisters, strive after Jesus and so build up his fame in our world and build up his glory in our church. And friends, notice the, the, the diversity in these female followers of Jesus. I mean, Mary Magdalene, for one, is a former demoniac. But then Joanna, on the other hand, is the wife of a man with no mean job. I mean, he is, according to Luke, Herod's very household manager. Uh, Herod is the ruler of Galilee at the time. And so Jesus is attracting followers from different spheres of life. And the most important thing to notice, I think, about these first three verses is what these followers do once they have been liberated by the Messiah, delivered by the Messiah. So once healed, once freed from the enslavement of evil spirits, they what? They follow and serve their deliverer. Luke says they provide for the needs of Jesus. Church, this is an example to us of what following Jesus looks like. It's not merely a decision. It's not merely a walk down an aisle. It's a life transformation. It's a switch of allegiance that changes everything. So if you do, if you do claim to follow Christ, but your life doesn't really look any different than from when you first uh, claimed Christ, I don't think you've actually put your trust in him. So if your life now doesn't look any different than when you were saved, maybe you haven't been saved. Because following Jesus is not just something you add on to your life. Following Jesus transforms your life. So that's Jesus' followers there in the first three verses. Uh, second point this morning is Jesus' parable. Look with me at verse 4. Luke says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to Jesus... He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. So Jesus is really bringing in the crowds at this point in his ministry. 
Many seem to be curious about this healer and this, this teacher. And so they, they flock to him. And as they flock to him, Jesus teaches using a parable. Parables were one of Jesus' methods of choice in communicating truth to those around him. So parables that Jesus used were stories that contained analogies and, and taught truths. And this one is one of his most famous. It's called the generally called the parable of the sower, but perhaps a more suitable name would be the parable of the soils. So Jesus starts there in verse 5 with a very common sight at the time. A man scattering seed, probably grain in his field. So a farmer in first century Palestine would have used a sort of bag slung over his shoulder with the bag in front and he would dig his, his hands into the seed in his bag and cast out the seed into the, the, the field, onto the ground. Uh, this sort of sowing, uh, this seeding would usually take place during the rainy season, like October to December, uh, and then harvest would come the next year in June or thereabouts. So everyone that's listening to Jesus here knows what he's talking about. They're tracking with his imagery. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. They, they see the story. But do they see the meaning? Well, we're not there yet. Jesus keeps going. He says, And as this farmer sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So nearby or running through this field, we're to imagine a sort of well-trodden path of packed earth. And as this farmer casts out his seed, some falls on that path. And since the earth there is firm and impenetrable, the seeds remain there. And they remain there until the birds come and, and make quick work of a ready-made dinner. Thank you very much, farmer. But Jesus continues. He says, And some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Now, we're not to imagine here a sort of rock, or even a field full of rocks. Uh, what's in, what's at, uh, envisioned here is, is rocky soil. So this soil in this part of the world at that time would have been sort of a shallow topsoil, that, that covered then a layer of limestone rock below the surface. And so while a seed could germinate and sprout in that soil, its root system would not be able to go much deeper than just kind of the topsoil. And so ultimately it would wither. That's the second category of soil. The third category of soil Jesus talks about is in verse 7. He, sees, he says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, the seed, and choked it. So the scholar Daryl Bach says that the weeds in Palestine that might be envisioned here could grow up to six feet tall. So these are no dandelions. These are thorns that take over and control the ground in which they grow. And so the seed that lands there germinates and sprouts, but eventually gets crowded out and suffocates. And then finally, Jesus gets to a fourth and final type of soil in verse 8. He, sees, he says, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. It's an amazingly great harvest. 
And so Jesus's point in his parable is well taken, at least on the surface of it. Good soil receives good seed and produces good fruit. So Jesus wraps up his parable there in verse 8 with an invitation then. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's his invitation to consider the parable. And so in verse 9, the disciples consider it. They, they come up to Jesus and they ask him, what does this parable mean? But before Jesus kindly and graciously fills them in, he gives them and he gives us an insight into why he's using parables at all. So he says to his disciples in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables. Why? So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That final two phrases there is, is Jesus quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, where the Lord calls the prophet Isaiah to speak sort of judgment on Israel. And so Jesus is making it very clear to his disciples that his parables are meant to divide. That's a primary purpose and why he's using them at all. So the sort of veiled, masked meaning of a parable will be revealed to some, but hidden from others. Some sincere hearts will be drawn close, while other stubborn hearts will be rebuffed. Jesus' message will either open the eyes of the spiritually blind to receive salvation, or it will make those entrenched in their spiritual blindness even more blind in their unbelief. See, in God's great mercy, he chooses here to reveal truth to the disciples. But to others, their reception of Jesus, which is rejection, their rejection will grow only more entrenched by his parables. If they persist in their blindness, his message will increase their blindness all the more. So John 9, 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. There's a lot we could say here, but the, the, the gist is that this is judgment from King Jesus. Because his message must ultimately only be taken two ways. Accept, acceptance or rejection. And the same is true today. The gospel, as the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, will either be the aroma, the, the smell, the fragrance of life, or it will smell like death to those who hear it. The gospel will either soften the sinner to repentance or harden the sinner in his sin. There's no other alternative, ultimately. Charles Spurgeon once put it this way. He said, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin." Now, friend, maybe this sounds unfair to your ears. Or remember, the fair thing would be for all of us to experience the judgment of God. 
but having our ears unstopped and our eyes opened and our hearts softened can only be accomplished by the gracious plan of God. So Christian, be humbled by Jesus' love and plead with him, plead with him to extend that same mercy with, to those around you for those for whom, as one author puts it, the sound of Jesus' voice reaches their ears, but the beauty and power of Jesus' message never reaches their heart. Pray for them. No one is ever beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ until it's too late. In fact, let's pray now. Let's, let's pause real quick and, and pray. Lord, this is a hard saying from you. That your parables would, would harden sinners in their sin. Lord, our, our notions of fairness, we know, are often flighty and shallow when viewed in light of your mercy and justice. And so right now, we just take this teaching and we apply it right now by earnestly praying for those in our lives who are hardened against you. No one can break their pride. No one can break in to their hearts with mercy except you. So we ask that you would do it like you have done it for us. Use us if you will. Use our feeble words to communicate your wonderful words. But work. Work your salvation in their souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, a, a purpose of the parables Jesus is telling us is judgment. But remember also that Jesus came to, the first time to bear judgment for those who wanted nothing to do with him, for his enemies, so that if they would repent of their sin and trust in him, they would be saved. Praise God, if you're a Christian this morning, that's you. God's grace has reached even you. He has opened your eyes to behold the good news of his kingdom. Come in Jesus Christ. But the time is short for those of you who have continually rejected his message till now. You might be fine following along with some of Jesus' teachings, playing along with the rhythms of the church. But if you have not given your heart to Christ, your judgment at the end will be on your own head. Turn to him today while there's still time. Have your sins placed on his cross and your penalty of death suffered by his atonement in your place. If you have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you more. Uh, you can contact me at the email at the bottom of your screen. We'd love to talk more about following Jesus and finding new life. And church, see, Jesus here is all about quality over quantity. Because all these crowds are coming to him in record droves, perhaps, but he's not looking to fill a building and make headlines. He's looking for truth to be dug down deep into souls. He's concerned with his hearers. And that's what we see all the more in our final point this morning. And that is Jesus' interpretation. Jesus' interpretation of his parable. You know, it's, it's always wonderful when you get the answer key, right? When you have a problem to solve and all of a sudden, voila, there's an answer key. And Jesus here graciously gives his disciples and us 
the answer key to the parable. Verse 11, look with me there. Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this, says Jesus, the seed is the word of God. So that's the first bit of interpretation we get. The seed is God's word. And, and so we can presume the sower then is Jesus himself, the one who's traveling about itinerantly, sowing the seed of the word of God. The seed he's scattering is this good news of the kingdom, come to earth, bringing salvation to the world. But how is this word received? Well, there come the four soils again. And Jesus begins by talking about the first soil, the soil along the hard-worn path, verse 12. He says, the seeds along the path are those who have heard. Well, not, not the seeds, the soil. The, let me look there, verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the birds that eat up the seed left on the path are compared to now to the devil who swoops in when God's word is proclaimed and sort of devours it before it can take, a, take root in the heart. This soil, this soul is hardened. It cannot receive the word. One scholar says, for such people, hearing is the most that happens. There is no attraction to the message or reflection on it. See, this, this soil is sort of like a brick wall, not budging in any way when the word is preached. Christian, never underestimate the wiles of Satan in frustrating the planting of God's word and frustrating your evangelism with your neighbors, your co-workers, your children. Pray fervently so that God would break up the soil that seems so hard into a million pieces so his word can penetrate and take root. And remember, God is not equal with Satan. Oh yes, they are locked in a spiritual war for the souls of mankind, but they are not equal sparring partners. I love Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, where the Lord of Israel says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So Christian, remember who your God is. His word is powerful. Remember that and keep on keeping on preaching the kingdom. So that's the seed scattered on the hard-packed soil. Next in verse 13 is the rocky soil. Jesus says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So remember, this soil on the rocky, rocky ground is, is shallow and thin. It's topsoil only. So it might be easy to see a, a seed take root and shoot up in that sort of soil, but it's not easy for that plant to then survive when the sun scorches and water is only minimally available. 
that plant will eventually fall away when testing comes. That soil is not soil where Jesus' words take root and bear fruit. That soil will not withstand the test. And I think we all know what that kind of response looks like, right? It's the person who hears the gospel and responds with excitement and comes to every single Bible study and goes to conferences and retreats and joins a setup team and the music team and the mercy ministry and every outreach effort. But then after three months, four months, where are they? They disappear as quickly as they came. They don't persevere. So when they're offended by others on account of their newfound beliefs, or when their claim to Christ loses them friends and opportunities, they just tap out. It's just not worth it anymore. Christian, this should encourage you when you face your own tests and trials on account of Christ. Maybe you're, you're in one of those right now. Remember, in Christ, God never punishes you. All your sin has been lit, paid for, put on the cross. But as your loving Father, God will send trials and testings your way to refine you and to mature your faith. So I wonder, can you point throughout your walk with Christ, can you point back to times of testing for your faith, for his name's sake, that felt like they were threatening your very trust? But they didn't topple you. They actually ended up strengthening you. Christian, can you see how that testing refined you and purified you and made you all the more eager to follow Christ and all the more eager to get to heaven? Rejoice in that. Third soil is in verse 14. Jesus' interpretation says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and pleasures of life. And their fruit doesn't mature. See, this soil might look okay to begin with. But as the plant grows, so do the thorns. And at some point, it just can't distance itself from the thorns anymore. There's only so much room. There's only so many nutrients to share. And the thorns just take over. Jesus compares those thorns to cares, to riches and pleasures of this life. And when those things are not put in their proper place, and Jesus is not made preeminent over them, well, following Jesus is one of the first things that gets crowded out. Slowly, surely, but finally suffocated. Maybe this is like the person who sort of views Jesus as an add-on to their life. Like another item on their bucket list. Uh, go to the Grand Canyon, Great Wall of China, skydive, get religious. Right? And since he's just an add-on, well, he's one of the first to be sacrificed on the altar of self. And all this leads us then to the fourth of the soils in verse 15. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This hearer who listens to Jesus' words and follows him is the hearer who ultimately doesn't hold fast to riches or comfort or prosperity, but only to the words of Christ. 
the promises of God. This hearer approaches Jesus' words with sincerity and commitment and endurance. This is good soil, graciously prepared by God to receive the message of Christ. And so, friend, how do you respond to the words of Jesus? You've just heard them, 15 verses of them today. Will you accept them and live by them? Or will you reject them? Time is short. Don't delay. Will you look to Jesus as your king? Or will you sit on the throne? In our devotional guide for this Sunday, I included the lyrics of that song by the Gettys, Holy Spirit. And I love part of the prayer where we sing, Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. May that be our prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth that clarifies where we stand. Thank you for your grace that invites us to life. And thank you for your mercy that enables us to believe. We ask that you would make us soft soil, readily receiving the seed of your word, and cause our roots to dig down deep into your truth so that when trials come, we are not shaken. We thank you for this text and we pray that we wouldn't be like the man looking at himself in the mirror who walks away and forgets what he looked like in James 1. But we would look at this text and go and live likewise. In Jesus' name, amen.